0: Thanks guys very much. Um, I'm going to read John chapter 7. It might take me a couple of minutes. Uh, You can follow in your Bible or on the screen. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea, because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. But when the Jewish feast of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea, so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one wants to become a public figure. Uh, no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore, Jesus told them, "The right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I am not yet going up to this feast." because for me, the right time has not yet come. Having said that, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the feast, the Jews were watching for him and asking, where is that man? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. Not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honour for himself. But he who speaks for the honour of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? You're demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who's trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle and you're all astonished. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a child on the Sabbath. Now, if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me? For for healing the whole man on the Sabbath. Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is, speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? But we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I'm from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his time had not yet come. Still, many in the crowd put their faith in him. They said, when the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I'm with you for only a short time, and then I go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live, scattered among the Greeks, and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his word, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he's the Christ. Still others asked, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus, the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why don't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. You mean he's deceived you also, the Pharisees uh, retorted. Has any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, "Uh, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out? what he is doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. It's, this passage is like a whirlwind around Jesus. Um, who, frequently people are just saying, you know, this man, that man, loads of different uh, questions, uh, opinions, ideas, people trying to get a handle on who Jesus is. Uh, John uh, who's writing this gospel, has come to faith in Jesus, and he said right at the outset, uh, in chapter one, the, the prologue, he's made his kind of big sweeping um, introduction, explaining to us um, that Jesus is more than just a man. He is God come in the flesh. He is the word made flesh amongst us. Uh, the God who created the whole universe and breathed it all into existence is the one we're reading about here, having become Uh, human Jesus Christ and he's he he paints things in very stark terms if you remember um, often uh, John will talk about light and darkness and he'll talk about the offer of eternal life and he'll talk about the possibility of eternal death and he speaks right at the beginning of the the reaction that uh, Jesus would receive it says in John chapter 1 verse 9 the true light that gives light to every man, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So God comes into the world in the person of his Son, and there is this... Uh, kind of potent reaction we see through John's gospel there are people coming to faith there are people believing and there are people following um, that changes their life completely and there's uh, other reactions uh, as people um, reject him and turn away from him Uh, so uh, we've seen that in the last few chapters this it kind of the volume as it were gets turned up after introducing Jesus after setting the scene, after showing us what he does and what he teaches and what he says, we get a glimpse of that, a summary, if you will. Then, then this chapter and the recent chapters just show that this reaction is becoming more intense. People are choosing Jesus. People are following Jesus. Others are rejecting him um, in, in very stark terms. So we saw that when, uh, when Kieran took us through um, second half of chapter 6. Uh, last, last time round, we see that Jesus was saying, I'm the, I'm the bread of life, you've got to eat me. Uh, and for some people, this is just it's too hard a teaching. They are uh, offended by Jesus, and so they leave. His own, his own disciples, people who had begun to follow him, turning away. And Jesus then says to those who are, who are left, are you going to go too? And they say, well, no, but you have the words of eternal life. So there are are those who've just had enough, that's it, we're done, we're out of here. We've had enough of Jesus, he has offended us. And you have others saying, there's nowhere else to go. He's he's the only one with words of eternal life. So Jesus gets that reaction, and he's not, as it were, trying to avoid it either. Uh, Looking at all the different conversations that take place in this chapter, there's much, I suppose, upon which... Uh, we could look at and, uh, and dwell. Here's just a few things that I'd particularly like to draw out uh, from John uh, chapter seven uh, for us to consider. And the first is this: the world, the world hates Jesus. It's here starkly in the passage. We see it in the conversation that Jesus has with his brothers. Well, his his half brothers, the the kids that were born to Mary and Joseph after he. Uh, after he was born Uh, and we find out here that uh, that his brothers don't really believe in him maybe watching from a bit of a distance they've seen about six months ago at the last feast Jesus started talking about being the bread of life and it just really didn't go down so well you know he, he could have had a few more focus groups or something just kind of road tested that particular teaching but there he went he just full blast everybody the whole crowd heard it and lots of people didn't like it. So they've seen the signs, they've seen the miracles, and they just left. It looks like Jesus' following is is dwindling. You know, if he's gonna be something, if he's gonna be someone, he really needs to sort that out. So so go on, Jesus. Go up to this feast and maybe change your tune a little bit this time. Let people see the miracles, let people hear. Slightly different teaching, perhaps this time, and then you can gather a bit more support. You can, you can, you can uh, have more people choose to follow you. Uh, and that kind of betrays that the brothers really they don't believe in him. If if there was a vote being taken, a list of candidates, who who is kind of God's man? Who who is God's chosen one? Who is God's king? You see a big list of the names, Jesus at the bottom, his brothers are just not ticking that, ticking, crossing. They're just not marking that box at all. Yeah, go on, go, come up to the feast. But they don't believe, maybe concerned for that loss of support. They're kind of suggesting that he goes on a, on a campaign trail, appeals to the popular vote, waves to the crowd, cuddles a baby, gives the right impression has to try and speak to all these different parties, all these different communities, and somehow just give them the impression that he's on their side. He's really for them. It's a political um, approach. Just please the people. He even says this, you know, show yourself to the world. Uh, so there's kind of an assumption there that really there's, there's no real difference between popular opinion and the will of God. If, if you discover one, you then discover the other. So if you speak to most people and most people agree with you, that's great. You're in. Um, and so it, it betrays a whole way of thinking that belongs to the world. And if we use another strong contrast, light and darkness, we can say, well, there's, there's the option of, of going the world's way and there's the option of going God's way. Jesus' brothers are saying, "Just go the way of the world." And Jesus is saying, "Not a a chance. I'm going God's way." And in fact, like throughout the passage, we can see we can see the ugly traits of what uh, what the world is like. There's a whole raft of things. We go to verse thirteen. Um, no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. And how much do we see that kind of attitude on uh, on planet Earth, in the world? Might have an opinion, might have a concern, but basically underneath it all is a fear of what people think. That means people stay silent. So there's kind of whisperings, there's murmurings, but people are more fearful of the consequences of, of, of daring to speak about truth and about who Jesus is or might be, Basically, no one wants to get kicked out of the synagogue. No one wants to incur um, the the offence of uh, those in authority. So uh, there's just a silence. One characteristic of the world. Another, we could go to verse 19, where Jesus kind of picks them up really on this attitude of hypocrisy. Has not Moses given you the law, yet not one of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? Now, a lot of people weren't aware that's what the Jewish authorities were trying to do. Um, we'll come on to that in a moment. But Jesus is kind of picking up on something here. Moses gave you the law. The law says, do not murder. And yet you want to kill me. Because you think I'm against, um, against the law. They, they know the law. The law of God. But they are prepared to break the law when it suits them. Even we could say that they have they've made up their mind about Jesus, and now they are reading the Bible to find something that will justify what they have already decided that they want to do. and they they could have turned to um, uh, passage in Deuteronomy, for example, where it says if, you know, if there's a prophet and he draws the people away from God, a deceiver, he should be killed. And they might think, oh, that's great. That's, that's all we need. We've got our proof text. That confirms what we want to do. That's what we're going to do. And that is, that's what's possible. We should be scared for our life in picking up the Bible. Because it challenges what we want to do and it challenges what we want to think. That that attitude can be in us, that we're just flicking through the pages hoping to find something that we already know we like, rather than have our lives changed or potentially turned completely upside down, because his authoritative word comes to us and pierces our hearts and we realise, I've got to change. But it's so easy in the world to read the Bible and say, well, how, how can we change this? How how can we read it differently so it lines up with something that's basically more popular? Lord God, won't you just show yourself to the world, appeal to the world, change your tune for goodness sake. Are you aware of that? How much pressure there is on God's people to change our tune, to drop unpopular truths. To try and find other ways of... Of reading the Bible so that it doesn't cause offense to most people in our society. Making our mind up. Well, I know I, I, I know what I think already. I already know what I think is right. But now I'm going to come to the word just to try and add weight to my own opinion. There's other ugly attitudes in the world. We could go to. Verse 20, you know, when the crowd don't understand, you're demon possessed, the crowd answered. Who's trying to kill you? So, in the world, what we see is just insult someone if you don't quite understand what they're saying. Uh, we see that later on in how people respond, well, how the Pharisees respond to Nicodemus, who, who dares just to very gently say, maybe we should hear him out, maybe we should listen to Jesus. And they just reply, are you from Galilee too, country bumpkin? Look into it, you'll find that the prophet does not come out of Galilee. Just insult people who don't agree with you. I mean, isn't that exactly what happens now? Uh, we could go to verse 41, um, where people are asking, how can the Christ come from Galilee. Now again, they could have gone to the scripture. Does not the scripture say that Christ will come from uh, David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? So they're kind of just against him. Maybe, well, because they assume nothing. no, no prophet could come from Galilee. Um, maybe that's taking offence to his, his accent. Uh, just basic prejudice with a kind of religious veneer. And then all the way through the passage, these uh, plans or attempts to have Jesus killed. That's what introduces the chapter in verse 1. The Jews were waiting to take his life. Now reading John, you've got to understand that when John uses the word or the phrase, the Jews, he's not talking about every single Jew. Uh, Jesus was a Jew. Um, Jesus' disciples were Jews. Those who think, I think he might be the Christ, were Jews as well. Um, But he's talking about the religious leaders, the authorities Later on, we, we see kind of particularly the, uh, the Pharisees and the chief priests having these discussions. How can we bring him in? How can we get him? People angered by what he, um, what he was saying are ready to uh, try to seize him and do away with him. So we see all of that going on in the world. And sometimes we can just, we just focus on the, the most grim stuff the attempt to kill someone, I mean, that's obviously just bad. Uh, That's over here. But the world's hatred of Jesus, is not just associated with what might really, really, everyone would just agree, well, these things over here, they're totally bad. All these other attitudes, this whole way of doing life, this whole way of thinking that sets itself up as opposed to what God uh, is doing. And this is the world uh, that we're all born into. Uh, we, this is not a way of life that we chose when we reach a certain age. It's, it's kind of the air that we breathe. It's, it, it's, it's where we started out. It, w- it was our starting point in life. And it's what we all need saving from. We go through John's Gospel and see um, uh, in chapter 1, verse 29. What does John the Baptist say um, of Jesus? John 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why is Jesus good news? Because he does that. And he's the only one who can. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So to receive good news is to acknowledge I need that sin. We need that sin taking away and dealing with. And there's no way for us to do it. Living the way of the world means basically trying to please people. Maybe with a vague hope of reaching God. Perhaps. But the focus is people. Uh, The focus is our own opinions, uh, and uh, and this is in direct contrast to God. We we saw when Jesus had a conversation with Nicodemus in chapter 3, and verse 16. This could be Jesus speaking, it could be John's explanation, saying these uh, familiar words, For God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not uh, believe stands condemned already, because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only son. That's the verdict. That's the world. Already condemned. Because of rebellion um, against God. And this, is what, this would be what the, uh, the villagers of the Samaritan woman's uh, home would say when they'd met Jesus um, and heard, heard for themselves what he, was, he, what he was saying. It says in chapter 4, verse 42, They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world, a world that needs saving. Jesus stands in stark contrast to his brothers. Jesus stands in stark contrast to all of us as the man of truth, the one who's not living to please people with a vague hope to reach God, the one who's come from God to reach people with a desire to... To please, to please God. I I haven't had many, um, many stadium moments in life, stadium rock. But I have, you know, we've perhaps been in those kind of scenarios where you know you go and see one of your favourite artists. um, To avoid ridicule, I won't mention anything now, um, and you just know you must know you've really made it if you can just like stop playing your song maybe you don't even have to hold out the microphone and, and tens of thousands of people uh, sing your words back to you like the, the biggest echo chamber in the planet you know, that, that kind of moment wow I, I've really made it I love these people these people love me I could, I could sing these words, but they, they know them all, and they'll sing them back to me. Whoa! No, it wasn't that. Um, and um, There's so many things that, as, as believers, we could say and know that people would just say it back to us. Yeah, you sing it out. You tell us. Yeah, you, you could sing it, or we could sing it we're all in agreement here. Those are the words. That's the script. That's the truth. And I remember this guy just sat right next to me. It's like he wasn't, he was kind of there and then not really doing anything. And then his favorite song came up and, and he just, he went for it. He was just totally nailing all the weird lyrics. So it's like, Part of the back catalogue I hadn't really appreciated. Okay, it was Billy Joel, but I might have told you that before. Yeah? oh, It's the same illustration every time, isn't it really? Um, Just nailed all the lyrics. And it's like, you know that as a believer, you know that for Jesus to stand up and speak in the temple, he would know, loads of people don't agree with this, but here I go. And there are loads of things now to say. just think, yeah, I just know. We just know, don't we? The world is not about to chant, us, chant it back to us. God's designed marriage between, between one man and one woman. Come on, Neil. Yes. But that's easy to say here, relatively speaking. And there's other things that we can kind of get together about. And it is good. It's good to encourage one another with truth because there are so many scripts out there. There are so many songs, as it were. There's so many lyrics. And if you're at school, I mean, it's probably always been hard to be a believer because the world has always hated Jesus. The world has always hated having its evil exposed by someone, one person, who is utterly, totally, consistently committed to truth. Someone who is totally, utterly committed to pleasing God in each and every single situation. It's only Jesus. You and I know that we kind of ebb and flow and sometimes we get blown about and sometimes we're a bit confused and sometimes we're not absolutely clear and sometimes we chicken out. We know that. And we know that we were part of the world that needs saving. The world hates Jesus. That is not a storm that is about to stop before we get to glory yet headwinds yep we know a little bit about headwinds and there might there are storms in life that God can still and silence in a moment but if we are waiting for the world to stop hating Jesus before he comes again it's not going to happen we're not going to get to that point where everybody loves what Christians say it's never going to happen let's not wait for that moment thinking that well if if you know on a good day with a following wind if ever, if I discern that everybody already agrees with me I'm just going to slip in my faith I'm just, just, going, to, I'm just going to talk about my faith in Jesus that moment is never going to happen And it's important for us in this day and age to resolve. We're not waiting for it to happen. It's easy sometimes, I think, to look back, imagine some other golden age in history and think it must have been easier then. It must have been easier then. It is so hard now. I think it was just probably hard in a different way. It's always been hard. Jesus would say to his brothers "Oh, maybe it's come back next week for the rest of it Um, Jesus would say to his brothers the world doesn't hate you if you belong to the world then the world won't hate you the world will congratulate you but the world hates me we are called To reach people, but to please God. And sometimes to know those moments, I guess it would have been disappointing for Billy Joel to come into the stadium and like for no one to be there. Oh, rubbish. It's not very encouraging, is it? But if God was there, and he said, if you got God singing back to him, not his lyrics, but God's. Wouldn't that just be absolutely, utterly awesome? And to have that moment where I, I, I truly, let this be my aim. I am truly aiming to please the audience of one, and God. And to know, not just him echoing back my thoughts, but me lining myself up with him that was the first thing the other two things would be it would be good to dwell on for a lot longer Um, maybe we'll just pray into it this evening and I'll share a bit more then but I suppose there's a question well how do we live then how do we live in light of the fact that the world hates Jesus Uh, two things and they'll be brief first is to choose to do God's will this is utterly incredible really There are people trying to get a handle on Jesus. And he's not like any other teacher. Because loads of people would have said, well, I think what that other rabbi thinks. And that other rabbi from a century ago, yeah, I'm kind of in line with him. And kind of, that that is a good way, I suppose that's a humble way nowadays of teaching. You often find that a church leader or spiritual leader uh, we Will we'll have that one person that really kind of sparks their enthusiasm. Uh, you know, that might be Charles Spurgeon, or it might be Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones. For others, it might be N.T. Wright, or you know, that, that person who really just grabbed my imag- imagination and helped me to see. And so people are trying to get a handle on Jesus, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't say, Well, I'm with this rabbi and that rabbi and that teacher and so on. He says, No, I've just come from God. And so I'm speaking to you from God and you can imagine them them thinking well how how did you get such learning Jesus but how, how do we kind of work you out and he says in verse 16 my teaching is not my own it comes from him who sent me if anyone chooses to do God's will he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own and that is so challenging Why is that so challenging? Well, because we want to get a handle on Jesus. Get to that point where we totally understand absolutely everything, where every question has been answered, so that we can then say, Jesus, now that I've got the proof, now that everything's lined up, now that I'm completely satisfied, I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to follow you. Now, maybe some here would say, yeah, I, had, I asked every question and I got all the answers and I was then compelled. So I'm not dismissing that sometimes that's how people come to faith. But there is no way to totally prove that Jesus is the way before choosing to follow him. And maybe you're here, maybe you're listening online, maybe you're... Um, Sat listening, and you're you're still waiting for some point to come where you've got your guarantee, you've got your certainty, you've got every question, every it's all lined up, it's checkmate. I'm in. Or maybe if you've grown up in the church, you're kind of waiting for that moment to come. God can come in a sudden rushing wind. God can come in an incredible way. But I was just struck by reading someone's testimony this week who, who prayed this as a student. I don't know if you're real. And I have many problems with the Bible. But I'm going to start living as if what you say in it is true. I'm not going to wait for faith To fall into my lap. I'm going to step out in the belief that you will be there to meet me. If I set out on the journey, you're telling me to travel. See how faith works. I'm all in, Lord, and I expect that you will reveal yourself to me more. And different questions, they'll be answered at different times. It, but it is about trusting someone. It's like if I, I could talk about this chair. I could say it looks pretty robust. Uh, it looks solid. It, it looks reliable. It looks like it will support my weight if I sit on it. Do you believe? Do you believe me? Yeah. What's the proof? Totally good, isn't it? Thank you, Lord, for that chair. I, you know the only way is to sit on it allow it to take all of my weight because I trust it. And that's what we're called to do with Jesus. So let, let us choose to do God's will. Let us choose. Lord, I want, I want to prove your goodness, your promises. You're the saviour of the world. So this is how I'm going to live. Not waiting for a funny feeling, not, not waiting for absolutely every question to be answered, but to be utterly committed to him. Now that sounds a bit hard. I think that sounds hard. I think that sounds hard if all your friends think you're absolutely nuts. But maybe very, they might be very polite about it, or maybe they aren't. I I could listen to the world. I can go the way of the world. There are thousands of voices wanting to influence my life, the decisions that I make, the path that I choose. But I'm setting that aside and I'm choosing to trust God. I'm choosing to trust his word. I'm choosing to trust that it's real and true about who Jesus is and what he has done. I'm staking everything on that. I'm I'm all in, like a baptism. I'm just all in. Are are you all in? Are you trusting? What what steps of obedience might we be choosing this week? Those of us who who have put our trust in Jesus, who have received eternal life, we can still get sucked into the world's way of thinking. We We can still want to play to the crowd a little bit. We can still just prefer easy comfortable life but this is challenging us there isn't some middle way in that regard I'm, I'm in the world or I'm, I, I belong to the world or I belong to God and it's that or that it's not both so let's just not pretend if they hated Jesus if no one hates me what am I doing with my life for Jesus Is my challenge maybe we'll pray about that this evening so let's choose to do God's will and let us receive what Jesus promised. The significance of this particular festival is massive. I'm sorry not to have the time to go through uh, the detail of the Feast of Tabernacles, which was sometimes called the Feast of Booths, which is not a t- party down at Terry and Julie's house. In fact, the, the office, if you went into the car park and looked, looked at the single-storey office, when, when this building was a synagogue, that was an area for this particular feast this festival um, it was built it had this roof that you could retract it was it was remembering a number of things at that particular party that particular festival which I think was the most popular festival in the Jewish calendar part of what the people were doing was remembering in the past how God provided for them in the wilderness they'd they'd come out of Egypt and they were following Moses and they were They were trusting in this God. They'd escaped from Pharaoh. And after a while, it was just hard. They were thirsty. They're in a wilderness and they're crying out. And they're thinking to themselves, should we just have gone back? Shall we just go back? This is hard work. And maybe you might identify with that. If you've reached that decision to follow Jesus, but now the Christian walk is into a bit of a headwind. There are challenges you're looking around thinking, where are the resources to make this life work and seem more plausible? Um, shall I just go back? Should I just forget Jesus? Should I just sack church? Should I just do something else? So, if you, That festival was, rem- was to remind them that Moses struck a rock and this water gushed out that provided for everyone. God knows how to provide for people in the wilderness. God knows how to cre- provide from seemingly nothing. He knows how to do that from Jesus. They were remembering in the past. God's been faithful and God provided. They might be looking in the present and giving thanks in the present. Because partly what that festival was about was giving thanks for harvest, grapes and fruit. Saying, thank you God that you sent the rain. Because we need you. So giving thanks in the present and looking ahead in the future. That festival was reminding them one day God's going to pour out his spirit in the last days. God's going to fulfill our yearning desire for his presence. And it's in that context that Jesus stood up on the greatest day of the feast and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And it has to be that. And we've got to press in, in faith, to know that God has poured out the Holy Spirit, that he is available, making the presence of Jesus real in the believer who's taking God at his word. Because with headwinds and with a world that hates Jesus, we need more than just our own personal resources, our own enthusiasm, our own insight, our own energy. I mean, if anyone is thirsty, what a joke. Is anyone thirsty? No, we're all sorted, thanks Jesus. We're all perfect, we're fine. No, we're not, we're thirsty too. Surely we are. But let's be thirsty with faith. I believe, I believe in the scripture, I believe in living water, I believe that God can provide what no one can actually see but the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit so that when we're doing life we can push through a headwind, we can keep going and we can speak up and we can be bold and we can nail our colours to the mast and say I'm living to please God. And to know his presence. There's going to come a point where Jesus is gone. Where I'm going, you can't follow, you keep saying. He knows his time is short. His time is coming. It's not quite come yet. When the time comes, he's going to die. And give his life to be that sacrifice to take away sin. And we could just look back to glory days and think, well, that was it. If only we'd been then. If only we'd lived then. If only we'd lived in the 1990s. If only we'd lived in the 1970s. If only we'd lived in the 1800s. There's some other time in history where it would be awesome to be a Christian. It's pretty hard at the moment. No, let's let's not do that. Let's be encouraged by the past. But let's say right now, the Spirit is available. Let's choose to obey God. Let's choose to follow Him. And let's choose to believe He provides everything we need for life and godliness. Amen. I'm going to pray, let's worship.